I don't drink tap water. I drink um, filtered water because I don't think it's clean. I remember when I first got to Columbus in 2010, I poured myself a cup of water and I was blown away at its blue color. There's just so much chlorine in there and it tasted really nasty to me. Just coming from New York, where the tap water is famously good, this was a pretty big shock. And then there were a series of public warnings, high nitrate levels, algae blooms, the consequences of fracking, traces of lead, and more recently, the ominous sounding forever chemicals. Most people around me, at work and in my community, say they won't drink the tap water here in central Ohio, not without taking precautions anyway. I used to think that they were paranoid, victims of a conspiracy propagated by bottled water manufacturers, but I'm increasingly convinced that they might be right. The bottled water companies are the beneficiaries of our civic failure. This is Prognosis Ohio, WCB's health and healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Ohio University Health Policy Professor Dan Skinner. Hey, folks, and welcome back. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about water with three representatives from the Ohio Environmental Council. While there are a range of issues we could have talked about, we focus this conversation on these so-called forever chemicals, or PFAS, as well as lead, which is a problem we are increasingly realizing isn't something just impacting Flint, Michigan, or Newark, New Jersey, but faces Ohioans as well. I also talked with the folks from the OEC about some of the environmental themes that arose in Columbus Mayor Andrew Ginther's State of the City Address, which he gave a few weeks ago, as well as some of the initiatives that Governor Mike DeWine's getting behind in the second year of his first term. So we've got a full plate today, but we've also got a full house with my three distinguished guests. I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Chris Tavener, Melanie Houston, and Pete Booker from the Ohio Environmental Council, an Ohio-based nonprofit that has as its sole mission to secure healthy air, land, and water for all Ohioans. Not a bad mission, I'd say. We're lucky to have them here in Ohio. Thanks, everybody, for being here to talk about water in Ohio on Prognosis Ohio. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, we're excited to be here. I wonder if we could just start a little bit by talking about the Ohio Environmental Council. Just tell our listeners a little bit, what do you do? What's the mission? uh, What's the scope of work? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having us. The Ohio Environmental Council, or commonly OEC, is a 51-year-old nonprofit. Uh, Our current programming includes uh, energy, public land, democracy, and what we're here to talk about is water. Um, So those are our four key programs. Most Ohioans know a little bit of some of the issues. Uh, I remember when I first uh, moved into a home um, in about 2015, it was in the middle of this nitrate issue where there was a big scare around what nitrates would do, especially for expecting parents and for young children. Uh, We also know about the algae blooms um, coming off the lake and some of the issues uh, associated with that. But today we're going to kind of drill in a little bit and talk about these so-called forever chemicals, the PFAS um, and and lead, those two issues. I wonder if we could just take the forever chemicals. Tell us a little bit about what the issue is. I mean, what are these things? What do they do? What do we know in terms of their health uh, effects for people who are drinking water with them? Yeah, so PFAS have existed as an industrial substance for about... 70, 80 years. They started uh, rising in use in um, chemical companies back in the 40s and 50s and 60s. And uh, most well-known is 3M and DuPont's use to create Teflon, you know, the famous nonstick coatings on uh, cookware, which almost everybody used or maybe even still uses. Are nonstick pans today using that same kind of chemical base? I mean, I have them in my kitchen. Uh, Am I part of the problem? They don't use PFOA. 
Okay. Which is the the chemical that 3M and DuPont used. So they've tried to develop. They've tried to change that they, kind of they, approach. They they may still use yeah. other PFAS. They okay. may. Yeah. Um. They've used. They've switched to alternatives, but they are still. Um, often within that same larger chemical family. There's over 5,000 PFAS that are used for a variety of different things, whether it's creating these nonstick coatings. Sometimes they were used to make like couches and coats water mm -hmm. resistant. Um, and then one of the most common uses for PFAS is firefighting foam. Uh, it's used ubiquitously throughout um, firefighting, especially at military bases. So maybe somebody can speak to here to the the specific health stakes of this, right? Chris has given us a you know a nice kind of overview of what they are, but what are we worried about and what do we know? Do we even know what the kind of outcomes are? What what the actual kinds of? I mean, are we talking about cancer? Are we talking about you know other kinds of diseases? Yeah, I, I think they've been linked to a number of uh, adverse health effects, but cancer being the the largest one, um, I think. As Chris mentioned, in the Ohio River Valley communities, it was found to be decades ago really the, the, the most known starting point of seeing some of those health effects. And um, I think there's still effects in that community today as well as other areas where there's been hot spots of these PFAS. So what's the research base here? Like, do we have research showing that these things are having these effects? So it's, it's yes and no. We know that there's health risks for very specific PFAS, PFOA, PFOS, PFNA, those PFAS, there's a huge body of work that says, okay, we know the health risks that are associated with these chemicals. But the problem is, is because there's 5,000 of them, you right. can't study one individual, like all 5,000 PFAS and figure out what those health risks are. And so one of the, the huge health risks of PFAS is that we know that a few of them have health risks because of the overwhelming body of ev evidence for those. And the worry is, okay, well, these all of these chemicals are still unregulated. And if four of them have health risks... It's likely that all of them do. And then there's that worry about, okay, what happens when a person has a little bit of PFOA, a little bit of PFOS, a little bit of PFNA in their system, as opposed to a ton of just one. Great. And just for listeners to know, we, we will be linking to some of the articles and resources so people can read up on this. This is a lot of acronyms and yes. a lot of P's, right? Which is like an audio engineering nightmare, oh, right? No. <laughs> no, I think we're doing okay. There's some action going on in Ohio about this. State representatives Allison Russo and Mary Lightbody have introduced a bill in the Ohio House to take this issue on, um, to build on what I understand was you know, some, some discussions that have taken place over past, the past few years. I wonder if you could just tell me a little bit about what does this bill do? You know, is it exciting? Is it does it not go far enough? What's the what's your sense of the bill? Melanie, do you want to? Sure. Yeah. Well, we are super excited about this bill. Not only is it a bipartisan bill, um, but this would be the first time that Ohio would be essentially regulating or putting safeguards in place to protect our um, drinking water from um, this PFAS chemical. So to start to take action at the state level. And actually the bill addresses, uh, both, uh, from a drinking water angle, setting, uh, certain limits and also, um, addresses surface water as well. So we have, we have 5,000 of these forever chemicals. How does a bill like this start to get traction and try to figure out even what to do? That's a lot of regulatory action, right? To be able to do that. Or is it a kind of just like a general category of these, this group of 
the similar kind of chemicals? Well, the uh, Ohio EPA um, does this for uh, a lot of different things. We're going to be talking about lead in a little bit, where they set what's called a maximum uh, contaminant level mm-hmm. for um, for drinking water. And then on the surface water side, it's really um, about a water quality, quality criteria. And so um, it just gives them the kind of tools and the teeth that they need to be able to, again, put limits on the amount that is allowed to be in water. And in doing so, uh, it then sort of pushes uh, the industry, the folks who are emitting these pollutants into the water to be able, uh, requires them to sort of tighten up their controls on what they're putting out into the environment that's putting all of our um, health at risk. So what's the industry response to this so far? I mean, do you have willing partners who are saying, look, we understand this? I mean, industry always has to be pushed a little bit. That's one of the things you need courageous politicians to be willing to stand up and and to to address. Um, I mean, are there is there broad consensus around this, or is this kind of one of those policy areas where you need to uh, really push uphill? Well, I think um, we were early in the process, and yeah. so I think that's sort of the work of our champions for this bill, the, the sponsors, yeah. um, Representative Russo and Lightbody, um, have, I know already done some of that stakeholder outreach, um, but to kind of continue to sort of advocate for the bill and to, to push it forward, um, there will be work in, in having those conversations, and we hope to see that um, there will be a broad consensus of support for this bill. Fantastic. Great. Hey folks, I just want to take a quick minute to tell you that I recently convened a group of Prognosis Ohio fans and friends, including a few past guests, around a table at Endeavor Brewing's Tap Room on 5th Avenue in Grandview to discuss the show. I got a lot of feedback, the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as lots of good ideas for improving the show moving forward. It was an awesome experience, and I have to say, I felt really lucky that such great people were willing to give their time and their brains to improving the show. You may have even noticed a few tweaks in this, the latest episode. For example, I hope you've enjoyed some of the remote clips I grabbed from some of my Ohio University colleagues and students, and a few folks we approached on the street. Our goal was to give you a sense of how Ohioans, aside from our guests, react to some of the basic themes in the show. We're going to be building this approach in future episodes. I wanted to give a special shout out to Endeavor Brewing for hosting us in their really nice space and providing us with hospitality as well as a few tasty beers. I had the Altura Latin Lager, which was great. Endeavor has been really supportive of the show, but also WCBE more generally. Check it out. Endeavor Brewing. There's a story behind every beer. 909 Fifth Avenue, Columbus, Ohio. Okay, now back to our interview with the Ohio Environmental Council. Let's turn to this issue of lead. And obviously, you know, lead has been in the news more than almost any other water issue in the last couple of years because of the Flint, Michigan situation, but not just Flint. I think one of the things that, you know, I, I started seeing more and started wondering is we were focused so much on Flint and Flint, there was, there was such a horrible situation there and the developmental uh, issues that, uh, you know, for kids that uh, it caused there. But then you started saying, well, Newark, New Jersey and Cleveland, the conversation started there. It was really one of the things I think that we started to realize this is a, a, an American problem, that we have this infrastructure in place of lead pipes and other causes of lead in our, in our water supply. I guess you know, I want to just get a sense, how big of a problem is this in Ohio? Do we understand the scope of the problem? These pipes are underground, a lot of them, and uh, it's my understanding that we don't always have good maps and even know where they are. So how do you start to gain traction on an issue like this? Right. Well, um, we you're right, Dan. It's not just an issue of Flint, Michigan. Clearly, that um, brought the issue 
uh, to the forefront for a lot of folks to realize that, um, you know, your your drinking water can be a source of lead contamination. And essentially what I'll say is that the, the threat is sort of always still there and looming for Ohio as long as we continue to have lead in our um, drinking water delivery system, which is largely our lead service lines across the state. And we have 650,000 uh, estimated lead service lines uh, in the state of Ohio, and that is um, something that we are currently pushing for in partnership and in coalition is um, for legislation that will require those to be phased out over the next decade or two. Do we know where they are, though? Do we have a good inventory <laughs> on lead in Ohio? Good question. I'm, I'm not but I should be shaking my head. No, we really don't. Um, One of the things the OEC worked on in um, 2016 in the aftermath of um, Sebring, which was sort of like a a mini Flint, if you will, uh, for Ohio, where there were lead exceedances in the water. Folks didn't know for five months. And, um, you know, we worked in partnership with Ohio EPA to get some better protections. Within that bill, one of the requirements was to start mapping uh, for, for water utilities to start mapping their lead service lines. And that was a great step. But what we we have seen out of that when you take a look at the maps and you go online is that uh, it's a real mishmash of what is included in those sometimes it's a very high level view mm-hmm. where if you were trying to go and look and see uh, in a, a large city where where your house fell and if you had a lead service line you just you'd be not able to find out that information um, in other cases there is a little bit more precise but it really comes down to what are the record keeping capabilities of each of those utilities what are their resources and it's it's a mixed bag, so we have a lot of room to grow. So what can the average Ohioan do? I mean, if, they, if they're worried about this issue, and I'm guessing anybody listening to this will be at least asking the question, hmm, I wonder about where I live. I mean, what are people's rights, or does the EPA provide like measurement tools? Can you get a, a piece of equipment from somewhere to actually find out if your house is in danger of having high lead levels? Like, What, what is the actual process for the individual person to find out what the situation where they live is? Mm-hmm. Well, you can start with a call to your water utility to mm-hmm. ask uh, if they do have records or if they essentially would um, have an educated guess that you would have a lead service line based on the age of the pipes in your community. It, you really can't see it because it's buried underground. You can take a look at the plumbing, typically in your house in the basement, and there are some ways to know uh, whether you have lead pipes, that, like a scratch test, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, some general tips that I'll give your listeners to um, sort of protective tips um, in the absence of until they have that information would be to let the water run for several minutes to sort of flush things through um, and that you never want to um, cook with hot water, for example, because your water uh, and sitting in a a hot water tank is sort of a place where um, that lead can accumulate. Um, And then filtering, and so making sure that you have a filter that filters out for lead. Um, But ultimately, we need to be, again, getting the lead out of the system so that the um, onus doesn't really fall on individuals, but, you know, that we're protecting our children and that we're protecting our Ohioans and not having that risk there in the first place. It's imperative that we promote cleaner and more prosperous neighborhoods with plenty of green space air that's easier to breathe, and water that's safe to drink. As you might have guessed, that was Columbus Mayor Andrew Ginther at the State of the City address he gave on February 13th. While I had the folks from the OEC's ear, I also wanted to ask them what they heard in that address, but also about their relative optimism and pessimism about our city and state's willingness to act on important environmental issues.
recently Mayor Ginther gave his State of the City address, and I know the OEC was excited or you know, optimistic by some of what was included in there. But I wondered if I, if you could tell me a little bit about some of the issues that were addressed there and where you get your relative optimism or pessimism in your work in relation to things like a high-profile uh, speech by the mayor here in Columbus. Yeah, I think we were particularly excited with uh, Mayor Ginther's announcement last week about Columbus pursuing an energy aggregation measure uh, they say what that is. Uh, an energy aggregation measure where essentially a community can choose through uh, passage of a ballot to pool their electric buying power to get things they want like um, renewable energy sourced electricity or generation in certain parts of the community like Ohio or Columbus if possible uh, or things like a lower rate. Um, and essentially their bid goes out into a market and, and people can see if they can meet, accommodate those needs and want to acquire it. So. Mm-hmm. That could be a very positive way to get a lot of Ohioans uh, using things like renewable energy or having their energy sourced from renewable energy sources if they so choose to make that a prerequisite for what they want. Um, And I think in the absence of strong federal and state leadership on things like climate change, a major city, as you said, the second biggest city in the Midwest going forward on something like this is extremely exciting. And it's going to be how we need to proceed forward uh, with the, the timeline that we're on to reverse and mitigate climate change. Great. Other other responses from that state of the city address? So I think Pete encapsulated it really well. And you but you asked about how we're optimistic about things going forward. And I think in thinking about optimism around water, I think uh, it, it's actually really important to um, note some of the work that Governor Mike DeWine is doing around H2 Ohio. And I know Pete probably has more to say about that. So what is H2 Ohio? Yeah, so H2 Ohio is uh, Governor DeWine's signature water initiative. Um, He led the charge in the every two-year state budget process to get uh, $172 million set aside for this new fund that can be utilized by the Ohio Department of Agriculture to put forward some farming best management practice cost share programs to help incentivize farmers do more to reduce nutrient runoff and ultimately harmful algal blooms. Um, the Ohio Department of Natural Resources is going to use the portion of funding they received to recreate wetlands throughout mm-hmm. the state mm-hmm. uh, to increase surface water filtration um, and flood mitigation and all the benefits that come with wetlands in terms of water quality. And then the Ohio Environmental Protection Agency uh, is going to utilize their portion of the funding to um, take failing septic systems and communities that still use septic systems and tie them into bigger wastewater utilities, um, as well as pair it with some federal funding to um, identify lead service lines that may be in schools or daycares starting in the Cleveland and the Cincinnati area, and then use H2Ohio funding to uh, remove those and replace them with lead-free water lines. And so it is a really holistic approach on everything we've been talking about today that uh, he has led the charge on. And um, we've got two years worth of that funding. uh, And hopefully we'll see a long-term commitment as well, because it's a a really good step in the right direction for water quality and public health. And that converges with something that, you know, many people have noticed about Governor DeWine, which is he kind of came in and made children and child health a real focus. And it was really exciting for a lot of people in the health community. And it seems like that's one place where water, since, I mean, water quality is so critical, especially at the early stages of development, that that there's a lot of sort of convergence there, I think, as well. 
Yeah, if I may add one, a yeah. uh, few pieces there, Dan. Um, the In addition to what Pete had mentioned, the governor has created a lead advisory uh, task force or committee of um, professionals all across the state um, from many different sectors, housing, pediatricians, and others, really uh, studying best practices across the country in terms of preventing lead poisoning in kids and coming up with a set of recommendations. Um, we know that in Ohio, we have nearly 4,000 children each year who have an elevated level of um, lead in their blood. Mm -hmm. And we also know that there is no safe level of uh, lead in the blood. Um, CDC and many other um, health organizations have have stated that. So we really have a moral imperative to act on this issue. And um, thankfully, the governor has been um, leading the way. And I also want to give a shout out to a coalition called the Ohio Lead Free Kids Coalition, uh, who has recently put out um, an action plan of six different um, very important steps that we can take to uh, really finally address this issue in an aggressive way, where we've known about this problem for some time, and now is really the, the time to act. Great. Well, um, Chris, Melanie, and Pete, thanks so much for sharing some of the work that the Ohio Environmental Council is doing. And I hope that you know we can make this an ongoing conversation where you can come back and talk about other issues. That's what this platform is for. So uh, thanks for sharing some uh, insights on forever chemicals and lead and other issues. And yeah, we appreciate for it. Us. Yeah, Thank thanks you. for having us. This is great. Great. Thanks. Thanks to the good people at the Ohio Environmental Council for spending some time with me at the WCBE studios to discuss the state of our water here in Ohio. You can learn more about the OEC and its work by visiting theoec.org. Special thanks as well to Greg Mobius, who's not only WCBE's interim general manager, the big kahuna, but also a fantastic studio engineer for engineering the audio for our interview. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark Franz. You can subscribe to Prognosis Ohio through WCBE's webpage at wcbe.org, where you can also find the show notes for this episode. This week's notes contain information about the Ohio Environmental Council, as well as links to a bunch of resources if you're interested in learning more about water here in Ohio. You can subscribe to Prognosis Ohio on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and really wherever you get your podcasts. You know the old line. We'd love it if you'd leave a positive review so we can continue to grow the show. You can also follow us on Twitter at at prognosisohio and email us your suggestions and your feedback at prognosisohio at gmail.com. If you're interested in underwriting the podcast to bring attention to your product, your event, your cause, please be in touch. Okay, thanks for listening to Prognosis Ohio.